Whether a date night or family holiday outing, Meadowlark's Winter Walk of Lights is the perfect way to experience the magic of the holidays. The half-mile walk through Vienna's enchanting Meadowlark Botanical Gardens features lighted nature themes and sparkling displays. Get your tickets now at winterwalkoflights.com. Extend your holiday season and beat the rush with a weeknight visit in November or early December. Plan your visit and buy tickets at winterwalkoflights.com. That's winterwalkoflights.com. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're about to experience the life-giving teaching of Bishop Kevin Foreman, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Center. To find out more about Dr. Foreman and Harvest Christian Center, visit our website at www.harvestcc.me. And no matter what, remember, love God, love people, and love life. Hallelujah. Remain standing. If you will, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to conclude the student takeover series today. I, I want to say something. I don't know if I'm going to say it, though. No, y'all say that, and then y'all act weird. So 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. You got it? You got it? It says, so Elisha. Now, we're going to talk about two men today, Elisha and Elijah, so I'm going to call them S and J. So, so, so S is the protege or the son J is the leader or the father, okay? So, so just so you don't get it mixed up, okay? So S turned back from J and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose. So he got up and he followed Elijah or J. And from that day forward, he became his servant. Now, flip over just a few pages to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Hallelujah. Is the student in you been waking up? Aren't you glad that when you look at life as a student that everything begins to change? You, you even look at your failures, not even as failures anymore. You just say, that was an expensive lesson because I... You even look at the stuff you were crying about and say, I ain't crying about that no more. I just had to learn some stuff. Here it is. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass that when the Lord was getting ready to take Jay up into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah, or Jay, went to S from Gilgal. Then Jay said to S, stay here, please. Let the Lord send me to Bethel. But S said, listen, as long as your mind, thoughts, will, and emotions are alive, I ain't leaving you. So they went down to Bethel. <laughs> now, 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 then it says, verse 3, Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to us and said, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? They were prophets, so he said, You should know that he's getting ready to go. He, he said, You should know uh, that his, the next phase of his assignment is getting ready to begin. And he said, Yes, I know. He said, But be quiet. Sometimes you got to look at folks and say, I know that, but ain't nobody asked you all that. I, Sometimes when folks trying to tell you about what's not going to work, you need to look at them and say, listen, I know what you're saying, but please understand, I serve a God that can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that. I didn't ask you that. Be quiet. Just look at your neighbor and say, be quiet. Be quiet. 
In the old church, we used to say, hush, why? Somebody's trying to call your name. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please. Let me tell you what he's trying to do. He's trying to ditch him. He's trying to see how committed he really is. <laughs> he said, listen, the Lord is sending me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul, your mind, thought, will, and emotions live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Now the sons who were, uh, of the prophets who were at Jericho came to us and said, do you not know the Lord will take your master away from you today? So he answered, yes, I know that, but be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please. <laughs> I love how the Bible cleaned it up because I know that ain't what he said. Because <laughs> when you're trying to tell somebody to stay here, you run into the store and you'll be right back. You don't. You said perhaps a little bit more vividly. He says, then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not live, leave you. So the two of them went on. Verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water and divided it this way and that way so the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So get the image now. The Jordan River's here. Elijah takes his mantle, his shamir, he takes it off, he throws it down. <clears throat> the Jordan River splits in two, just like the Red Sea did, and they walk across on dry land. Over here, there's 50 of the sons of the prophets that couldn't cross over the river with Elijah and Elisha. So they had no clue what they were talking about. Because sometimes the decision to be great means you got to get far away from the crowd. So Elijah takes his son and he takes him on the other side of the Jordan. And as he takes him on the other side of the Jordan, look at what happens. Are you there? Uh, look at verse 9. So it was that when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, uh, ask me, what can I do for you before I'm taken away from you? He said, please. And notice, he didn't say, can I get the access code to your bank account? <laughs> he didn't say, can, can I drive the car? Now, of course, you know they didn't have cars and they didn't have bank accounts in the way we do today. Notice what he said. Give me a double portion of your ruach, of your spirit, which in its most rudimentary form, it means of how you think. He said, give me double how you do stuff. Give me double how you think. He said, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Look at verse 10. So he said, listen, boy, you didn't ask me for something hard. He said, you don't just want to drive the car, take the car. No, 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 because he had graduated beyond materialism. He had graduated from the point of just wanting what somebody had. He said, I want how you think. Look what he said. Nevertheless, verse 10, he says, if you are with me, and you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, then you ain't get nothing. In other words, he says, if you continue to be faithful in your hardest moment, then I'm going to give you what you asked for. But if you stop being faithful when it gets hard, you ain't get nothing. 
I got an announcement from God for somebody today that being faithful when it's great outside, that's easy. But can you be faithful in your hardest and your toughest and your roughest moment? He said, listen, I'm getting ready to be taken away from you and that's going to be hard for you. He said, but if you're with me and you continue to be, I tried to ditch you all these times and you were faithful. He says, so now in this moment that's getting ready to be tough for you, he says, if you can be with me then, he said, I'm going to give you everything you ask for. If not, you ain't getting nothing. Verse 11, then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly, shout suddenly. suddenly. I said, shout it. Suddenly. A chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha did what? Saw it. And he cried out. Now, notice in 1 Kings 19, he was his servant. Notice the change. In verse 12, he cries out and says, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. Look at this. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. It was that rough of a moment that he, he just he didn't know what to do but just rip his clothes off. <laughs> You ever had a moment to where you didn't know what to do, so your cell phone suffered the ramifications? Oh, y'all ain't going to be honest with me. You ever had a moment to where you didn't know what to do, so the nearest thing you could grab was just in the wall? Don't y'all look at me with that Denver tone of face. You didn't threw some stuff. You didn't cuss somebody out. You didn't threw a phone. You didn't have to get an insurance claim on something. You didn't done something. He rips his clothes in two because all of a sudden this man who is he invested his life into is now taken from him and it's a rough moment. But look at verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. Elijah goes up. He's up. He's caught up into heaven. He returns later on as John the Baptist. He's caught up and as he's caught up, his mantle, the same one he used to part the Jordan, falls from him. And it falls onto who was next to him. And it falls onto Elisha. <laughs> Are you still here? Touch your neighbor and say, this is going to be good for you today. And he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. Father, today, we thank you that you have given us the ability to make decisions. And decisions decide our future. Decisions decide our lifestyles. Decisions decide what we are able to enjoy. So today, as we conclude this year's Student Takeover Series, I speak to the inner student inside every individual, whether they're in middle school, high school, college, been several years since college. Wherever we are today, I speak to the student in us. Give us the ability to make the decisions that yield and lead to greatness. I am not speaking to failures. I am not speaking to mistakes. I am not speaking to accidents. I am not speaking to losers. I am speaking to kings, and I am speaking to priests, and I am speaking to the head, and I am not speaking to the tail. I am speaking to people that are more than conquerors through you. Give us the grace to make the decision that becomes the game changer. In Jesus' name.
Would you shout hallelujah this morning? As you take your seats, look at two or three people and just tell them the decision, the decision, the decision. You can be seated. <clears throat> I'm not going to be long, but I'm going to be strong. Uh, the true nature of anyone who desires to accomplish anything great is to be a student. Say, I'm a student. The purpose of this series has been to ignite the inner student in you. Say it again, I'm a student. The first message, this was a short series. The first message in this series talked about do not act your age. And we looked at how Jesus, when he was 12, how he perceived that there was something great for him to do. And that he looks at his mother and he looks at Joseph and he says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He said, I could waste years of my life just going through the normal mundane routine and the monotony of life like so many others do. But Jesus said, I'm going to start being about my father's business while I'm young uh, because Jesus understood that there's no need to wait on something until out there when I can do it here. And so we talked about not trying to be part of them. Say them. You got a them. Uh, maybe the them is your bloodline. Maybe the them uh, are your friends. Maybe the them are those that you went to school with. Uh, you have a them uh, that has always tried to make you be like them. Uh, and whenever you have the audacity to step out uh, to greater and to step out to something uh, that they did not perceive that they had the ability to do, they were often critical of your not being part of the them. Do I have any witnesses here? You, you, you had some folk that the moment you started talking about, I'm a king and a priest, they looked at you and said, but remember about this and remember about this and remember about that and you can't do this and you can't do that and this wasn't there and this wasn't there and you had to develop something on the inside of you that said while I hear you I don't hear you I think there's some people in this place that you had to learn how to allow people to say what they had to say, but in spite of what people were saying, you had to still persevere uh, because you understood that while they may have wanted the story of their life to be a bunch of wasted days and wasted moments and wasted relationships, that there was something different about you. I know you want me to be like everybody else in the bloodline, but there's something different about me, and I'm not wasting, I've wasted enough time already. I'm not wasting another minute trying to fit in and be average with them and so we said do not act your age but in the second message we said that you might be young but you're ready and I tried to get y'all hip to some new jack swing and y'all just don't know nothing about that here and we said that the, 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 the word there, young, could really be anything because maybe it wasn't young. Maybe uh, your, your issue, maybe the blockage that you created had nothing to do with your chronological disposition, but it had everything to do with your emotional, pathological, and sociological disposition. So um, that the blank there might not be you may be young, but the blank there is you might be tired. The blank there is you might be worn out. The blank there is you might be depressed. The blank there uh, is that you might be sick and tired of being sick and tired. The blank there might have been that your money's so funny uh, that it's telling you jokes. Uh, it, it. But we still said that you're ready. Say, I'm ready. And we looked at uh, four different uh, things that we talked about that you might be young, but you're ready to learn. You might be young, but you're ready to serve. You might be young, but you're ready to be corrected. And you might be young, but you're ready to represent. Say, I'm representing. So today, and, and last week, we learned about two uh, young men that were in the scripture, Timothy and Titus, and, and we talked about how these two men were statistic breakers, how Timothy didn't allow the fact that his father wasn't present in his life to give him an excuse to be whack. Whack is a hip-hop colloquialism, which simply means lacking the fervor that one was created to have. 
You got a lot of stuff that you use to justify your mediocrity. But there comes a day in your life where you're going to have to make what we're going to talk about today a decision that just because I can justify my averageness, I made it up. Just because I can justify my mediocrity does not mean that I have to be mediocre. See, let's tell the truth. You didn't been through some hell, and you didn't been through some lonely nights, and you've had to shed some tears, and you've had to walk by yourself sometimes, and you've had to look at folk who you thought were going to be with you always to only find out that always meant two and a half weeks. You, you didn't been through some stuff. So you got a lot of reasons you could use to justify being mediocre. But just because you got a reason doesn't mean you have to use it. Oh, people said you weren't going to be able to do it because here you are, you had a baby out of wedlock and, and you were in church. Oh, I'm going to talk to somebody today. How is it that God could use you and how is it that you're going to do anything great? But have you looked at their fruit lately? And have you looked at what God has done for you? People said, well, you used to smoke this and you used to do that. How is it that God's going to be able to do anything great with you? Because even though I have a reason to justify being average, I don't use it. Some of what you've been through, listen, you got, a re you got reason to be on the episode of Snapped. Snapped is a show that came on where literally people one day just snap, crackle, and pop. It is like a big old bowl of Rice Krispie Treats, just pop, 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 where they lose it one day because of what they've been through. But you ought to be so thankful that even when you, shake out my toe, that even when you felt like losing it, God said, I'm going to keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me. You got a lot of reason to snap, cracking, and pop, but you haven't. And I don't know about you, but that's a good place for me to shout. Why, Bishop? Because I could have been. And for those of you sitting up here saying, but Bishop, stuff ain't really going the way I'd like it for it to go. Can I make an announcement to you? Have you watched the news lately? Because it could be a lot worse. I know you don't have everything you want, and I know everything's not going the way you want it, but you could be in a lot worse. Somebody's going to get this today. You could be in a lot worse circumstance right now. You could be sleeping up under somebody's bridge right now. But goodness and mercy have been following you, yo. And even when you acted crazy and he should have kicked you out. And even when you acted crazy and God should have cut you off, he kept you. I wish somebody would shout for the fact that he kept you. Oh, yeah, you ain't got that job because you're that smart, truth be told. You got that job because goodness and mercy came up behind you. You ain't still got your family because you're that good of a spouse. The truth is goodness and mercy got up behind you. You ain't driving what you're driving because you got good credit. Truth be told, you got so much stuff on your credit, they had to staple some pages. But goodness and mercy came up behind you. Got a lot of reasons that we could justify average. But just because we have them doesn't mean that we take or use them. And you know people who have problems with what I preach? Slaves. <laughs> slaves don't like teaching, especially today. The slaves in the room is going to hate it. Watch them. You'll be able to look at their face and say, you ought to go down the street to the slave church where they teach you to just manage your misery. Because masters can't have you ever conquering nothing. 
Ooh, because you just got to, just got to keep on being messed up and jacked. Oh, y'all ain't gonna say nothing to me. Now, I ain't the one today. Well, you just never knows what the Lord's gonna do. You read your Bible. I do know what the Lord's gonna do. He's gonna make me the head and not the tail. He's gonna walk me through the valley. I know exactly what he's gonna do. You don't know because you're a slave. Well, you means to tell me I ain't got to be sick? No! You means to tell me I ain't got to be broke? No! You means to tell me I ain't got to reproduce the generational curses in my bloodline? No! I feel released in this room. <laughs> I'm gonna bust the slave mentality your bloodline's been working in for years. Here it is. Here's the shift. I knew you'd do it. When, during the transatlantic slave trade, when Africans were brought to this country, one of the first things they did, now please understand, prior to, the touch neighbor said, this is going to help you. <coughs> I don't know if I'm going to get to the rest of us in this here iPad. And I really don't care. Harriet Tubman came today. I'm going to get some of y'all free. You can stay on the plantation or average if you want to, but I'm going to get some of y'all. It may be underground, but I'm going to get somebody in Denver before this leg of my assignment ends. I'm going to get somebody in this city. One of the first things that they would do, because Africans were selling Africans. Ooh, I feel a shift. I got to clean it up because we're multicultural church. I got to clean it up. If I wasn't on these cameras and all this here, I'd give it to you bishop style. Would you got gangham style? I got bishop style. <laughs> Africans were selling Africans to other Africans. And when the Europeans observed this, they said, well, if they'll do this to one another, if they'll work so hard to pull one another down, then we need to seize and capitalize on their division. Not understanding that a prophecy was being fulfilled from the scriptures because, can I teach you for just a moment? Can I teach you like you know something right here? In the scriptures, Noah curses the son of Ham. Uh, he curses his grandson. His name was Canaan. Canaan became a father to African peoples. And the curse that Noah proclaimed, oh, we're going to break something up in here today. I ain't going to get to the paper, I don't think. The curse that he proclaimed is, hey, he said, you would be a servant of servants, which means slave, to your brothers, Shem and Japheth. Shem became the father of Semitic peoples. Japheth became the father of European peoples. The curse he proclaimed was Canaan shall be a servant of servants to the Semitic peoples and to the European peoples. 
So then a little over 400 years ago, when the transatlantic slave trade begins, we see the fulfillment of a prophetic curse that Noah spoke over Canaan several years later. Now, watch this, because I'm going to help you. One of the first things they did when they would bring Africans, oh, I want to teach you this, is when they would bring Africans and they would get them to the slave trading post as they would get ready to board them onto the ships, is that they would have them walk around a tree three times. In fact, on the coast of Benin, Africa, if you were to Google it, you would still find this tree there today. They would have them walk around this tree three times. Now, somebody say, Bishop, what's that mean? Well, the Semitic people understood that at a Hebrew wedding, the husband would walk around his bride three times as a sign of the covenant he was making with her. Which then means when they had the slaves getting ready to board the ships, they would have them make a covenant with a slave's mentality. So that even though they would be free from shackles, they would still be enshackled in their mind. I wish I had somebody here. And so they would get ready and they would place them on the slave ship and they would come across the Atlantic Ocean. It's interesting now because that is the same uh, trip now that hurricanes take. It's interesting because there lay the highest concentration of great white sharks from the trip that they would take. And as they would take this trip, one of the first things they would do to the slaves is that they would change their name. You were no longer what the African given name was. You were now John Smith. Because the first thing you got to do if you want to ruin somebody for generations is confuse them about who they are. Because if you do not know who you are, you will never be able to do what you were created to do. So if Satan can keep you in a church where you're being taught that you're nothing but a little old sinner and you're being taught that you're nothing but a little old this, then he can keep you enslaved because you never read the book to find out that you are a king and a priest and you are a royal priesthood and you are a holy nation. And so, are you okay? They would bring them over. And as they would bring them over, they would, they would beat the slaves. This old slave term called breaking. Say, we'll break him. Because if we can break his will, we'll never have to get a fight out of him again. If we can break his will to do better, he'll never fight to be better. If we can break their will to have order, they'll never fight to have order. If we can break their will to not be on the bottom all the time, they'll settle for the bottom thinking that it's God's will, not knowing that God says, I ain't got nothing to do with that. So they would beat the slaves and they would take, can I just teach you for a moment? Can I do something I ain't been able to do in seven and a half years? Can I teach this thing? I'm a revelator, so when I can't revelate, I get frustrated. I made a whole Bible college just so I can revelate. Bishop, what is revelate? It's to find on purpose what you can't find on accident. Just so we're clear. So watch this. Y'all still here? The slave owners would take the husbands, the men, separate them from the wife and children. 
so that now they saw that as normal. And they would then beat the men. I'm getting ahead of myself because I got a series coming out next year sometime. So I'm getting way ahead of myself. So when I'm teaching this next year, I'm going to go much depth. Just act surprised. Doesn't they say act surprised next year? Act surprised next year. <clears throat> but this is in me. Somebody's pulling something from me. They would take the man and they would beat him so that the wife and children could then look at him and say, well, he can't even protect himself. So then, watch this, now, if he can't protect himself, he can't protect us, which now creates the spirit of mammy. I ain't got time to get into that. I ain't got time to get into that. It creates the spirit of Beyonce women, you know. Ain't no man finna tell me what to do. I need no man. I do, but that's funny, because you keep going to the club, so which is it? It's one of them days. I ain't been able to be like this in a long time. It's funny because you on blackpeoplemeet.com, so which is it? You on eharmony.com, so which is it? Do you or do you not? They beat the men in front of the family so that they would lose respect for the man. Then they would separate the man from the family so that the woman was left to do the job of both the husband and the wife. And then they began, because it happened for so many years and it happened so often, to think that this is normal. And so now her new man was the master. And she then exchanged her body to be accepted by the master. Which is why we got a generation of young girls who think that the only thing they're good for is if they can give their bodies. But I speak life into the daughters of this house. You are more valuable than laying on your back. And uh, you are more valuable than just what's in between your legs. Uh, you got value and you got purpose. You still here? So the man was now broken, and his will was broken, and his will to fight was broken. So much so that even when they would say, you're free, he'd say, well, what am I going to do? All I know is slavery. All I know is dysfunction. All I know is to not do right by my wife and kids because for 400 years, all I saw was that I didn't have to do right by my wife and kids because I was separated from, oh, y'all ain't going to say nothing to me. So for 400 years, in a particular group of people in this country, a slave mentality was expostulated and perpetrated. Now hear me, this is not a race issue, it's not a white or black issue, it's a slave, it's a thinking issue. It's not a black or white issue, it's a pathology issue, it's not a black or white issue, it's a freedom issue. So don't take this somewhere I did not take it. And so watch this. And so now, watch this, we are only between three and four generations removed from the Emancipation Proclamation. And so now, what people think is because they have a car, and because they've got a house, 
And because in the five-mile radius, they've got 2.3 children. They think that somehow we made it. They think that somehow as free. But then when a word comes to your life to tell you that you don't have to be messed up no more, that you don't have to be broke no more, that you don't have to go through the same issues anymore, you fight that word with your slave. But I just don't know how to do that. All I know is how to go from relationship to relationship. I just don't know how to be single and learn to love me. Because we are only between two and three generations removed from slavery. And it takes four generations to change a mindset. Bishop, how do you know that? The scripture says that the sins of the fathers, the iniquity, the generational sin would visit to the third and fourth generations. Which means that teaches me by deductive logic, it takes four generations in order to break the mentality of slave thinking. Which is why, watch this, which is why there are some people who despite all the great opportunities around you, you've created a plantation in your mind. Because God says, I'm trying to do this great thing for you, and yet you fight with him to stay average. And I'm trying to expand you, and I'm trying to enlarge you, and I'm trying to, but you come and you hear the word, and you say, well, that's good for somebody else, but that's not good for me, because all I know is how to be on the plantation. And one day, and here's what they sold you. They sold you a false teaching. Here's what they sold you. Live in slavery in hell here because one day he's coming back. And when he comes back in the sweet by and by in that great Beulah land, then all your troubles are going to be gone. Well, I got an announcement to make for hell. And I got an announcement to make for the stuff that's had you bound. You've lied your last day. Because we read this book, and this book says I'm not dying to get over there, but I'm living to bring over there. Shout down here. I'm here to make an announcement that you're leaving that slave plantation today. You're leaving that slavery mindset today. You're leaving those boundaries today. And it's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's a everybody thing. What's this? What's this? What's this? Say decisions. Watch this. <laughs> My greatest frustration with God putting me in this city is that out of the 1,800 churches between Boulder and Colorado Springs, 1,800, I know, that's what I said too. Like, God, there ain't that many Christians here. <laughs> it's just not. But then I looked at the numbers and I looked at statistics. Harvest, we don't even understand the greatness of what God has done for us. What God has done for us doesn't happen in this city. This is what you're trying to say. Part of my greatest frustration was teaching the kingdom, preaching the kingdom. Because what is the kingdom? The, the, the kingdom is real simple. 
heaven's attributes on earth. But you don't want heaven's attributes until you get sick of hell. And that's where some of you have been. You, you say, I'm so frustrated. And you're so frustrated. And you sit up here blaming your frustration on God. And God is saying, that's you, slave. Give us us free. In the Bible, watch this. Here it is. Here's the turn. I'm going to get to my notes. Here's the turn. Elisha's life was spoken for. His family business was to plow oxen. And the scripture says that when Elijah, the man of God, came and showed up, he was busy doing his father's business, his father's trade. What's the significance of that? There is nothing significant nor noteworthy about a man plowing oxen. Let, let me help give it to you in the level of the socioeconomic spheres that would have existed in that day. Elisha was a nobody headed to nowhere on a train called nothing. He was plowing 12 yoke of oxen and all of a sudden a man of God showed up with a lime green shirt on. And said, have you had enough of being average? Have you had enough of not going anywhere fast? He said, because I'm getting ready to give you an opportunity, Elisha, that if you miss it, you ain't getting another one. You still here? See, the slaves are mad now because they want to go pick their cotton. They want to go have a sweet Jesus who's just getting them through just so that they can make it to the next day. When the hell are you going to be sick of just making it? When are you going to get sick of just surviving? When are you going to say, I'm ready to thrive? God didn't save me from that and save me from that and save me from that just to survive. And I don't mean that in a gratuitous way. Gratuitous means just being extra for the sake of extra. I mean it in the Greek way, Gehenna. When are you going to get sick of the trash? And say, not another day. Not another day. Listen, I ain't where I want to be, but thank God I ain't where I used to be. Not another day. Not, I, I didn't get everything I expected to get from God today, but I'm not spending another day like that. What's this? You still here? The man of God shows up. And he says to her, you still here? <laughs> Elijah had just had a great battle with Jezebel. Elijah calls down fire from heaven and kills hundreds of prophets of this false god in front of this false queen named Jezebel, who was really a typification of rebellion and disorder in the church. And Elijah withstands her, defeats all of her prophets. But watch this. It's, it's interesting because she, she issues a threat. She says to the man of God, she says to Elijah, the same way you kill my prophets and the same way you embarrass me in front of the whole nation, showing me that your God is God. She said, I know he's God. I just refuse to serve him. She said, I see what he can do. I just don't care what... 
You got some folk in your life now that every time you invite them to church, I know I need to go, I know I need to go because I'm not. Because there's something Jezebelian there. I know he's God, I just don't care. I know he saved me from that, I just don't care. Let me have my fun now because I'm enjoying being average. She issues a threat. I'm almost through. She issues a threat for my note takers. I'm going to have some points for you in just a moment. But after all of what I can get you for their dad, you can got your money's worth. I can shut the book and sat down. Drink some of this orange juice. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. She issues a threat and says, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, I'm going to make you like you made my prophets. Now, Let's get a real good understanding. He called down fire from heaven. Now, for those of you that can't get a a visualization of that, just imagine, not even from heaven, just imagine from this here roof, fire coming down to your seat. Now, ain't that going to put a little something? I mean, you're going to at least act like you love Jesus. I mean, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may not love him. You may not know nothing about him. But at least I just say, hey, thank you. And this, can I call her what I want to call her? I would mess with the slaves enough today. I don't want to mess with them no more. This woman. This woman. This whoremongler. Threatens the man of God who called fire from heaven down. So much so, he starts running. Called fire from heaven. He's scared. He's running. And not only does he run, he gets depressed. The Bible says that he's sitting under, I believe it calls it a juniper tree, which leaves some kind of inference as if he had to get something to help medicate his fear. Fire from heaven on Monday, sitting up under a juniper tree with a little medication perhaps on Tuesday. And he cries out to God and he says, you've left me by myself. He said, I did all of this for you, and I don't have anybody. Check this out. He had developed something called the sons of the prophets, which means literally he didn't have nobody, but the people that he had didn't have him. And so the people that he had didn't have him. He had a big crowd of people that were listening to him, but he said, I ain't got nobody, which means you can have a crowd but still feel alone. You can have friends but still feel by yourself. You can have prayer partners but still feel like you're the only one. He says, I have nobody. You left me here. And I am depressed. And I, I, I'm through. God says to him, listen, son. I got something I want to do with you. He says, your part of this assignment is over. He said, I'm going to bring you up here with me because I'm going to send you back before I come in the flesh. Elijah came back as John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. He said, this part's over. 
He said, this part of your assignment is concluded. But I need you to go find somebody that can replace you. I need you to know you're not by yourself. So you know what he does? God tells him, he said, go find Elisha, the son of Shaphath. Go find him. And as you find him, uh, you're going to anoint him. And, 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 and he's, you're going to train him up so that he can do what you do. He said, because you're not by yourself. He said, and I get it. I get it that you spent all this time developing these sons of the prophets, but yet you don't even have one that you feel like you could then call son. He, he said, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you go, and I want you to go find Elisha. He finds Elisha. Here we are now at the story. I gave you the background, right? All that, 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 17. So here we are. Here we are, 1 Kings 19. I'm going in the fifth gear. Watch this. And he walks up to Elisha, and he says to him in, in 1 Kings 19, 19, he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Chapath, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. Now, a yoke, I've taught you before, was the thing that connected two ox together. So, literally, there were not 12 ox in there. There were how many? 24, because they were yoked together, which means that there was a wooden piece that connected them together. Which often, the issue isn't the issue. It's what's connecting you to the issue that's your problem. That's why the scripture says the anointing, the favor, the grace of God breaks the yoke. Because the issue isn't the problem. The issue is that you're still connected to it. The issue isn't what they did to you. The issue is you're still yoked to the pain of it. Oh, I'm going to help somebody. Yeah. The issue isn't your, uh, your financial problems. The issue is you're still yoked to thinking it has to be that way. You still here? <clears throat> Look, then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. So here's what Elijah does. I love Elijah. Man, I love these men in the Bible because they just, they just didn't play all of these little church games. See, most people say they want Jesus. They don't want Jesus. They want American Jesus. And American Jesus is a genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way, he'll come out and let you out. Jesus in the Bible is like, listen, let's go. Jesus in the Bible is like, listen, I'm going to change your life. So either you win me or you're not. And Jesus said, I ain't worried about no crowd. So Jesus starts preaching a message one time about how they had to eat his body and drink his blood. And he preaches it so they think he's literally talking about it. And he preaches it just so that all the slaves would leave. He preaches it just so that the people that were so proud and too prideful to ask questions versus come to conclusions about things that they don't know anything about. And Jesus is just like, then he looks at the 12. He's like, y'all going to leave too? He's like, what, you don't think I can find another 12? Jesus is like, it's 20-something million folk around here in Jerusalem. You think you're the only 12 I can find? I chose you. You didn't choose me. So for everybody sitting up here in the day thinking you're doing God a favor by being in church today, I just need you to know he chose you. You didn't choose him. And if he chose you, that must be something incredibly awesome about you that the king of kings and the lord of lords would pick you. Here we are. So Elijah, he throws his mantle. He throws his mantle. Now throw it back to him. I'm going to need it. He throws it on him. And he keeps walking. No, you don't get it. Y'all don't get it. I love the men in the Bible because they didn't. They were like, listen, nah, I think it would be really good for you for you to come and serve me because I just really, really love God, love people, love life. He didn't do all that. He's like, 
And today, Bishop Foreman stopped by. And I'm steady moving. <laughs> Because we got a kingdom to shake and we got a nation to change and we got a city to turn upside down. I'm almost through. He throws his mantle. He keeps walking. So Elisha's like, but he knew the garment because he was a Hebrew boy. So he knew, I just had an encounter with a man that ain't like no other man. <laughs> I just heard some words from a man that ain't like no other man. He said, I just met a preacher that ain't like no other preacher. So Elisha starts running. It's a dramatization, you know. He's running, son, he's running. And as he's running, look at what he says there in verse number 20. And he left the oxen. Hear me. He left what was making him average. He left his boundaries. He left the oxen and he ran after Jay. Watch the conversation now. Please, please, please. Mm, please. Let me go and kiss my mama and my daddy goodbye. And then I'll follow you. He said, let me go pay honor to the people that made me average. It's funny the stuff you faithful to. It's funny the stuff you give your time to. It's funny the stuff you call what you got to devote your time for. It's funny the stuff you miss church for. It's funny. Y'all ain't saying nothing in Denver today. <laughs> I'm feeling like me. I didn't have to. He said, let me go back to my mediocrity and tell them bye. And then I'm going to follow you. And I love men in the Bible. Oh, my God, I love them. Look. And he said to him, Elijah said to him, watch this. Go back. Here's the word. Again. In other words, he was saying, Elisha, this ain't God's first invitation to you. This isn't God's first opportunity for you. And before you went back to them, and you know what they did, Elisha? They talked you out of it. Y'all are missing it, so let me slow it down. He says, go back again. In other words, he, 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 because he was a man of God, he was a prophet, he was, he was telling them something about himself. He said, listen, Elisha, you chose average once before. You chose boundaries once before. You chose mediocrity once before. Put it up. You put the scripture back up. You, you chose all of this stuff once before. Put the scripture up for me. Look what he said. He, he said, watch this. Here's what's implied in the scripture. He said, the last time you went to your mother and father, they talked you out of following. Look, look at me. Look at me. A lot of the people you call yourself going to get advice from are people who keep talking you out of stepping off the plantation. And Elijah said, if you go back to them, I'll find somebody else. 
He said, because while your mother means well, she don't know better. And she doesn't have any malevolent intent, but she don't know nothing but to be a slave. So the only thing she can give to you is slave talk. Was you going to go follow the man of God? How's you going to do that? Why you just don't want to stay out here with these here oxen? Least we knows what to expect. You're miserables. We's miserables. But at least we got miseries together. You's broke. And your daddy broke. And I'm broke. But at least we's broke together. Elijah said, if you go back to her, and if you go back to him, they're going to talk you out of it. He said, I'm giving you an opportunity to follow me, S. And if you think that what's behind you it's greater than what I'm offering you, then you ain't ready for what I got. Look, and he gets, he makes it personal. Go back again for what? Have I done to you? He makes it personal. He's like, I'm giving you an opportunity to walk with greatness. And you're sitting up here trying to go have a slave party. Y'all don't understand what I'm saying. The reason some of you haven't walked into what God has ordained is because you got folk attached to you and you got folk that are walking with you who what they really are is a distraction and what they really are is the enemy's plan to keep you from walking in what God has ordained because they keep talking you out of what you learned in church. They keep talking you out of the word that... You okay? Yeah. Tell me how much time I got. Put it up there. 21. Verse 21. Here it is. So Elisha turned back from him. Look what he said. He's like, okay. I get it. He was like, because I'm with the 12 yoke of oxen. 12 means foundation. He says, it's built in me to be average. He said, it's, it's established in me, 12 yoke of oxen, it's established, 12, foundation, government. He said, it's established in me to be messed up. It's established in me to run from my opportunities to be great. It's established in me that every time something gets tough, I figure, well, that must not be God's will, because with God's will, it'd be easy. You will lie. You ought to read this book. God would say, go do this. And then the people would be like, Lord, how are we going to know? Just go. And they start doing it, and they'd be like, God, this is hard. He's like, well, I didn't say it was going to be easy. Just because it's God's will does not mean that he takes away the thrill. <laughs> but so what's the thrill? The journey. The journey is what makes it worth it. Because when you look at all the hell you had to get through to get to this place, you're going to say, I'm thankful. They lied on me, but I'm thankful. They betrayed me, but I'm thankful. It didn't always go my way, but I'm thankful. Here it is. He takes a yoke of oxen. So he takes two. Look what he does. He slaughters them. He boils their flesh. So check out, Elijah's problem wasn't that it was going to take too long for them to go talk to him. He just didn't want them getting his ear. Whoever has your ear has your future. Whoever has your ear has your future. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Whoever has your ear has your future. So notice, he got time to take the yoke, kill him. Now, in case you don't understand, killing in those days took a little bit more time. 
they'd have to, depending on the animal, I don't know specifically what they would do for the oxen, but for many animals, they'd have to slit the throat, flip it upside down, let the blood drain. Because the blood had to drain out of the, the, the inner organs and so on and so forth of the animal. Say that takes time. So notice, Elijah's issue with it wasn't that it was going to take too much time for him to go back. It was that he knew that they would get his ear. And sometimes when you feel alone, it's because God says, I don't need nobody in your ear right now. So I shut that down. I shut that down. I shut that down. I made them unfriend you on Facebook. I made them unfollow you on Twitter. I shut that down. I shut that down. I shut Because I don't need nobody in your ear right now because you got to make a decision. And the decision you're going to have to make, they'll make you make the wrong one. Because I'm going I'm, I'm to show you something. I'm going to show you something. I got one point today. No, take us. Uh, that's all I'm going to get to. Say decision. So Elisha turned back from him. He took the yoke of oxen, slaughtered him. He slits his throat, flips it upside down. Let's assume the normal way is the way they did it. Then he has time to boil its flesh using the oxen's equipment. And look at this next part. It's going to blow your mind. And gave it to the people. Wait a minute. <laughs> they had time to kill the animal, cook the animal. And get some other folks to come and have a little repast. <laughs> so y'all know. <laughs> and they sat down and ate. But Elijah said, those two can't come. Not because they have malevolent intent, evil intent. But they're going to get your ear. And you're going to exchange greatness for comfort. You're going to exchange greatness for ease. Look at this. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his, shout it with me. I said, shout it with me. Here it is. I got one point. You ready? There's this one point I'm going to get to today. It's up to Jesus. Excuse me. It's not up to Jesus. It's up to you. It's not up to Jesus. It's up to you. Bishop, what do you mean by that? Because I just thought... That whatever God wanted to happen, it's going to happen. That's not true. Bishop, God is in control. Show me where it says that in the Bible. Show me that. Because y'all like to shout it. God is in control. And when you're going through something, my God is in control. I mean, if I said that, y'all tear the church up. Ain't God in control? It's a busy super ruin, huh? But you're shouting over what's in error. Sovereign means God is ruler, not controller. Say, it's not up to Jesus. It's up to me. God is sovereign. That does not mean he's in control. Let me prove it to you. Let me give you a couple examples. Got it? Because number one, the phrase God is in control does not appear in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is not a book about God's control. It's a book about people's decisions. The only reason we read about Elisha today is because he made two right decisions. The first one was to run after his man of God, and the second one was to not run after who he told him not to run after. That's the only reason we read about him today. There's no need to read about an ox herder for any other reason except that he made a, come on, say it with me. It is not up to Jesus the decision you make. It is up to you. Let, let me give you some examples. Um, you can own a corporation. Y'all all right today? 
That's good. Even if you weren't, I'd be fine. It's good for you. It's like Robitussin. Tastes horrible, but it's good for you. Come on, somebody. Like the Mucinex pills. When they're going down, they're disgusting, but they're good for you. Watch this. You can own a corporation but not have anything to do with the day-to-day operations of it. The Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but day-to-day ops, he gave that to us. Bishop Ware, Genesis 1, and you shall have dominion, absolute power over all the earth. So he says, I own it, but I gave it to my children to run it. But so far, the only thing I see is a bunch of slaves trying to pull down other folk they perceive getting higher than them. Many Christians like to think that God is in control. You know why? Because it eliminates having to make good decisions. Because now everything can be blamed on God. If you get fired because you never showed up on time, the Lord had another door. How about you got fired because you're sloppy and you're lazy and you're disrespectful because you think somebody owes you a job? How about that? How about that wasn't a satanic attack and get some prayer partners together to pray against God? My spouse just left me, and that just just wasn't God's plan. Could be that that's the case. Or it could be that you just were sloppy. Oh, and by the way, divorce was God's idea. The men, the Hebrew men, the men, the Hebrew men, y'all got real stupid looking men. The Hebrew men, I'm not calling you stupid. I pastor wonderfully smart people. I'm just talking about the look on some of y'all's face. The Hebrew men would say this ain't working out so that they, they would abuse the women. So God said to Moses, he said, I got to create something else here because that ain't going to work. So Moses creates what they call putting her away, which was he said, write this thing up that this, this ain't going to work and then put her away versus acting crazy with her. Mr. What are you saying? I'm just making a point. Say decisions. Say it again. Say decisions. Say it again. Say decisions. Christians like to think God is in control because everything can then be blamed on him. Everything can be blamed on him because he's in control. 9-11, that's God's fault. How could he allow that? What kind of loving God would allow that? Better yet, let me ask you this question. What kind of responsible CEOs would allow that. He owns the stock, but we run the day-to-day. You still here? God is in control! Then why do you lock your car doors? Well, why, do you, why do you protect your social security card? Just leave it out on the thing. Because he's in control, so if he don't want nobody to get it, nobody will get it, right? If God is in control, then why do you go to work? Won't he just send money in your bank account? See, the slaves don't like this here teaching. So now you ain't got nobody else to blame. Now I done took your blame card. 
I realize this is something I should have saved for like a conference. <laughs> this is heavy for a Sunday, I know. Justin Davis said, just, just thank Jesus. Let's thank the Lord. Just thank Jesus. I got seven minutes, so it's almost over. It's almost over. You can go back to your plantation in just a moment. <laughs> but there's an abolitionist in the house that's trying to get somebody free. I'm going to get somebody free. I may not have hair like Frederick Duff, but I'm going to get somebody free. Here it is. Your decisions decide your life. The Bible is a book about decisions, not God's will being done. That's why Jesus had to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know why I had to pray for it to be done? Because it wasn't being done. And as long as you sit up thinking, well, everything that happens, happens for a reason. Yes, that is true. There is cause and effect. You step on my foot. Then I'm going to look at you and say, dear brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all remember the song, you hit me and now? Cause. Now, I'm not encouraging you to be hitting people talking about Bishop said. No, I'm just making a point. Say, it's not up to Jesus. It's up to me. But watch this. The only reason we read about Elijah today was because of two decisions that he made. The first was to follow his man of God, Elijah. The second was that he did not allow anyone to get into his ear. That's the only reason we read about him. And can I tell you something about, about this? See, Elijah, I, I got five minutes. Elijah, y'all okay? Elijah was the progenitor of a brand new system of ministry. Elijah was the progenitor of a brand new system of ministry. Up until this point, ministry was done to where they had something called the school of the prophets, where literally a prophet would then have, uh, uh, he was a teacher too, and he would teach them and he would train them and then they would rise up in prophetic ministry. Many of the prophets you read about in the scripture, they were contemporaries of one another. It's not like one died, then another rose up, one died, then another rose up. They were contemporaries. Many of them were around at the same time. But Elijah comes up with this system and says, it's not sufficient enough to just make prophets. He said, I need to make sons. He said, because a prophet may be able to duplicate and replicate what I'm doing in prophecy, but they cannot duplicate and replicate what I'm doing in the nation. They cannot duplicate and replicate the totality of what God has placed in a man. So Elijah said, I don't just want the school of the prophets. He said, I want to make the sons of the prophets. Say a different system. Say it again, a different system. So he said, I just don't want to make uh, uh, the school of the prophets. I want to have the sons of the prophets. Say sons. Say daughters. Now, now, check this out. This is interesting because when Elijah goes to Elisha, I'm just about through, and he throws his mantle in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, and he adopts Elisha as a son he in, and invests in him. Uh, please understand, uh, about four years later, King Ahab dies, and then about an additional seven to eight years later, he becomes Elijah's servant until Elijah's taken up into heaven. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? From 1 Kings 19, essentially to 2 Kings chapter 2, you don't really hear very much discussion about Elisha because he understands that his role was to be in the background of his father's foreground. 
And he says, watch this, he's been given an opportunity to walk with greatness. Say, I have an opportunity to walk with greatness. Now, now, now check this out. He makes a decision. Elisha does. And he's now walking with Elisha. The story of his life was already predetermined for him. That he was going to plow oxen and be a nobody on a train called nothing. But then one day God sent an interruption. Hear me everybody, not just students. Hear me everybody. You are not just here so we can just have another church experience. We don't call them services. We call them experience. You are not just here so that you can call yourself critiquing something you're not qualified to critique. You have been divinely sent here because God is giving us all an opportunity to be an interruption to what was already spoken for about your bloodline. This is not just another little church thing. This is not just, I'm coming to get a blessing. When are you going to grow up and realize you are the blessing? Genesis 12. And I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. Kingdom folk ain't trying to get what they are. I'm through. He, he says, he says, <laughs> Elijah, let's go. Come. Follow me. Leave what you know of that averageness, I made it up, of that mediocrity, of that low thinking, of that dysfunctional thinking. Let that go. And come on, follow me. And let's go to a place called great. Elisha, I'm not promising you that all the days are going to be wonderful days. But I'm promising you this, that my God shall supply all your need. Because when you're handling God's business, God makes sure he handles your business. And he says, I'm through. I'm through. Say decision. And he says, let's go. I'm going to be ready to make you into a greater man because it takes a greater man to make a greater man. Let that one marinate for a little bit because I, I, I know, I know. It takes a greater man to make a greater man. He says, let's go. He said, now listen, wherever I am, Elijah, that's where you got to be. Or excuse me, wherever I am, Elisha, that's where you got to be. So check this out. So much so that when Elisha, Elijah rather, I'm going to just go back to J and S. When J <laughs> says to S, stop. Stay right here. I got to go handle some business. He says, oh, no. He's like those 12 when the rest of the people left Jesus. And he, Jesus said to the 12, where are you going to go? They said, you have the words of life. Where else shall we go? <laughs> S looks at J and says, I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> He said, you, I'll walk in the back, but I'm coming with you. 
he goes from, he goes from, I'm through, he goes from Gilgal, which means circle, to Bethel, which means the house of the Lord, to Jericho, which means the brother of God. Man, if I had more time, I would work that like a part-time job. <laughs> to Jordan, which means doubt. He gets to the Jordan and he's doubting. Because he's saying, I've done all of this and I've invested all of this and, and you're getting ready to be taken up from me. And he says to him, what do you want from me? He says, give me a double portion of your spirit. Can I tell you something? Literally, in the scripture, S does double the miracles that J does. Why did the Bible do that? So that you would be able to see with undeniable evidence that it was just not some spiritual double, but that it was a natural double, that it was a manifested double. And he gets double. Say double. double. Say it again. Say double. double. Shout it like you won't double. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. He makes a decision. Say decision. decision. What happens in your life from this point forward, and really what has been happening up until this point, is not dependent on what God has done. He's done. This is what you mean. When he said, it is finished, he literally meant, I'm done. Everything they will ever need, I just bought. If they need healing, I just paid for it. If they need a miracle, I just paid for it. If they need a blessing, I just paid for it. If they need a breakthrough, I, everything they need, I just bought. So it's finished. I'm done. And he says, I have now revoked Satan's access. And I've given it to them. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. One of those keys is the next series we're getting into. He says, I'm through. Touch your name and say, he's done. One decision changed the entire trajectory of this young man's life. I want to pose this question to us, Harvest. Not just our student ministries. Not just those that perhaps are younger chronologically, but to everybody in here. Because if you're still alive, that tells me one thing, that God says you're not done. I don't care if you got your retirement bags packed and you say, I'm headed to Hawaii. God says you're not done. I don't care if you said, Bishop, I, I done it. No, you're not done. If you still got breath in your body, you are not done. And that's why the cancer couldn't kill you, because you ain't done. And that's why the car accident couldn't kill you, because you're not done yet. So he sent an angel and said, snatch him up out of that hospital bed. They're not done yet. I like the movie Independence Day. Anybody else like that movie? To the point where I can still watch that movie. There's a few movies I can still watch today and act like I never watched it. Independence Day. What's love got to do with it? <laughs> I said, Bishop, why you like that? Because I like to see a survivor. I like to see somebody that can start at the bottom and not. Yeah, I like to see that, man. I like an underdog. It's inspirational. <laughs> That's why I like it. <laughs> and at, at the end, the president, what was it, Bill Pullman, I think, I forget his name, he's flying the plane. 
and, and his general, the general says, get out of there. He said, they're getting ready to deploy their primary weapon. Now, I'm going to shout myself. <laughs> he said, get out of there. They're getting ready to deploy their primary weapon. They were getting ready to fire on Area 51. Y'all remember the movie? Don't look at me like you've never seen the movie. And the general says, get out of there. And the president said, we're not done yet. And when you're a gladiator, I think I got a few in this place to take. When you're a gladiator, while other people are running, you're saying, but I'm not done yet. I haven't conquered it yet. I Decisions. The decisions you make determine the, the value and the quality of life that you live. And that's not up to God. He can't make the decision for you to stop letting average people talk you into average. You have to do that. Young people, he can't make the decision for you. See, because you, some of y'all still play this little game where I got my Jesus stuff, but I also got my little other stuff. Oh, y'all. I got my Jesus church harvest, you know, love God. I got all that. But then when I'm feeling a little discouraged, I got my other stuff. Y'all don't want to be honest? And somebody say, Bishop, get him, get him, get him. No, I'm at your seat. Because you got your faith Sunday, but then you got your miserable Monday. I'm here to announce to you one decision. One decision. The whole reason harvest is birthed today because of one decision. One decision. One decision. You're sitting in here this morning because of one decision. And the trajectory of your life is left to decisions. And Jesus can't make those decisions for you. He, 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 he's done everything he's going to do. He's given you the word. He's given you CDs. He's given you teachings. He's, he, he's given you everything that you could possibly want. But you got to make the decisions. So I want to do this. I want everybody to just be seated real quick. And, and I want to do this because... Because we're going to do something today to disrupt some stuff. Disrupt it where, Bishop? In your bloodline? Disrupt it where? In your mindset? If you know that there's some stuff on your bloodline that you were created to break, and you've already begun to see the fruit of it breaking, stand. Watch this. Watch this. Y'all still here? If, if you know that you know that you know that you know that average is not your portion, but that there's greatness in you, not only do I want you to stand, but I want you to then lift your hands. If that's you. If that's not you, that's fine. You, that's, that's fine. That's fine. You need average so that you can see the difference between average and excellent. You got your hands up? Now, say this. Say, Father, Father in, the in the name of Jesus, just like, just like Elisha, Elisha made, one made one decision that changed, that changed the, trajectory the trajectory of his life, of his life. I, make I make a decision, a decision. Right, here, right here, right now. Right now. I, leave I leave low thinking, low thinking in this auditorium. 
I leave. I leave. Slave, mindsets. Slave mindsets. In this auditorium. In this right now. I leave, I leave my mistakes my and my failures in this auditorium right now. I decide, just as the man of God went to Elisha and said, let's go. I respond to my man of God today. Let's go. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 